My name is Ardalis Green, and this morning is Easter. And there's two traditions in Easter that I like to uphold. The first is the pastor would normally say he is risen. Yeah, didn't need prompting. Wow. And we're going to find out this morning in the text where that comes from. And the second tradition comes from the fact that the Easter sermon was typically the longest sermon of the year, going about an hour and a half, two hours, three, two and a half hours long. But once in a while, the pastor would say, this morning, I have a short sermon. And the people would say, amen. <laughs> you knew that part also. So this morning, I do have a short sermon. Amen. All right. Relatively. This morning, we're going to look at two disciples who are on a journey. And this church is all about discipleship, helping people on their journey of faith. We've made disciples before COVID. We're going to make disciples during COVID. And we will definitely make disciples after COVID. We believe... <clears throat> That life is a journey, there's a beginning point, there's a maturing process, and we want to be all about that. Many of us on the road, we've traveled, the road has been rough and bumpy. You've had your share of setbacks and disappointments, and you really hoped that something would happen, but sadly, it didn't come to pass. If you're being honest, and you'd say your heart is somewhat sad. I think that that's you, you can identify with these two disciples this morning in Luke chapter 24. We'll begin at verse 13. God has a word for you. Some of you have been in some amazing places on your journey. God's opened so many doors for you. Um, you can't wait for the next leg of the journey. God has something great in store. But for others of you, your journey has been more like a dry, barren desert. You might have suffered a great loss. You might have been in a big accident. You might have a physical, financial problem. Some of you walk in the journey with a brisk pace. It's really hard to keep up with you. You're so fast. Some of you walk along with arthritic knees. <laughs> Each of your steps is painful. Yesterday, we had the color run. And after the run was over, my two grandchildren, William and Andrew, challenged Pop to a race. The race reminded me they're getting faster and Pop's getting slower, but <laughs> getting older. And you know when you're getting older because... It's harder when you go down to get back up. And when you bend over, you want to pick something else up since you're down there, right? And you know you're getting older when you go to the same restaurant and order the same thing at the same table. That's when you're getting older. I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, <clears throat> so I guess I am getting older. And the bands that played in the 60s and 70s, this generation is finding out about. Bands like Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, The Beatles, but I've heard the producers are asking them to rethink some of their songs, to rewrite them, to rework them. Abba's song, Dancing Queen, the producers want to make it Denture Queen. <laughs> Abba's getting older. And the Beatles song, I Get By With A Little Help From My Friends, the producers want Paul and Ringo to write, I Get By With A Little Help From Depends. <laughs> Life sort of starts and finishes with a diaper. Crystal Gale's song, Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue? Well, the producer said, after yesterday's color run, don't it make my brown hair blue because of all that color that got dumped in my hair? <laughs> Little joke, but it's... the Eagles aren't singing "Heartache Tonight." <clears throat> Instead, they're asking, they're singing the song "Heartburn Tonight." You didn't like that one? <laughs> Eagles aren't allowed to eat pepperoni pizza, and Jerry Lee Lewis isn't singing "I Got a Whole Lot of Shaking Going On." He's singing now "I Got a Whole Lot of Aching Going On." You getting tired of these? Leonard Skinner <laughs> stopped singing Sweet Home Alabama. 
you know, that's the sign when you come into Alabama, Sweet Home Alabama. Now he's singing Rest Home Alabama. And Nancy Sinatra no longer sings These Boots Are Made For Walking. Now she's singing These Boots Are Giving My Feet Arthritis. And the Who stopped singing Talking About My Generation. Now they sing Talking About My Medication. All they want to talk about is their prescriptions, not for jokes. So um, <clears throat> let's turn now to the text. If you've ever lost a loved one unexpectedly, you know how it feels. There's shock, there's disbelief, there's sometimes followed by denial. Even anger, a deep sadness sets in. You realize that the person who is so much part of your life isn't there. You can't have a conversation with them. You can't hear from them again. Your world changes as you knew it. That's exactly how the disciples felt when their Savior was murdered in cold blood on the cross before their very eyes. They saw the Roman soldiers thrust the spear into his side, and out came both blood and water, blood for the atonement, water for our cleansing. They couldn't say goodbye. In their minds, the dream was over. It appeared as if Jesus had failed. We turn now to Luke chapter 24 and the 13th verse. It reads as follows. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Ask the question, why have these two disciples left the epicenter of Christianity from Jerusalem? Behold, that same day, the same day as the women came to the tomb, bringing spices to anoint his body. The, the women wondered who will roll away the stone. How will we get by the Roman guards? They discovered that the large stone had been rolled away. And the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was, was rolled away to let the people in. And they looked in and didn't see the body of Jesus. But they did see an angel gleaming like lightning. And he said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he's risen. Behold, that same day. Things had happened that morning, and now this was the afternoon. And two of them, two of the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus. They would have come to Jerusalem for the Passover. When they arrived, they would have seen Jesus on the donkey coming down the mountain, presenting himself as king. They would have witnessed his miracles and heard his teaching. They were followers of Jesus. And Jerusalem was the epicenter of the action. But they're headed home. We don't know who they are. One was named Cleopas. We don't know their background. But they're on the road to Emmaus. It's a seven-mile walk out of Jerusalem. Why on earth did they choose to leave Jerusalem? Jerusalem is ground zero for the Christian movement. Jesus even said to his disciples, you know, wait in Jerusalem. Don't leave. Wait for the Holy Spirit. But they are hightailing out of there. Why? They have seen Jesus crucified on a cross. It must have been an awful thing to see. It says in verse 14, they were talking to one another, intensely debating, processing with each other everything that happened. Why would they leave Jerusalem to go home? Well, we get a clue in verse 17. It says, their faces were downcast, gloomy, solemn, embittered, melancholy. They were dispirited, depressed, disillusioned. Something they had hoped would happen didn't happen, 
and something they hoped wouldn't happen did happen. They hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel, but what happened was he was crucified, and they are on a dusty, dirty road feeling depressed. Something is happening deep in their hearts, and they're feeling quite discouraged. They're walking away from all that God was doing in Jerusalem. They want to distance themselves from the believers there. You know, COVID has been used to isolate us, to distance us from one another, to cut each other off. And we need traveling companions. We need fellowship and support. We need each other. And even though they are walking away from Jerusalem, Jesus is walking after them. I love that part of the story. Jesus came up and started walking with these two on the road to Emmaus. Now, that wasn't uncommon in the day. They wouldn't say, this is a private conversation. You may have had a friend or a family member who has walked away from the faith. They wanted to distance themselves from Christianity. Maybe they want to deconstruct their faith. Job 6.14 says, what a despairing man wants more than anything else is the devotion of his friend. You hang in there with your friend, that family member. You know, Jesus is the best friend ever because he walks in when others walk out. And Jesus was walking with them on the road to Emmaus. I pause here to ask if you can relate to them. They watched Jesus die on a cross and they thought it was the end. The truth is, it was the beginning. I think about the Ukrainians watching their family members being murdered by the Russians and how hard that must be. They are leaving Jerusalem, the scene of the cross, where they saw their hope extinguished. They watched the one they believed was the Messiah and their dreams died on the cross. Now they are mourning. Over the past couple of years, many have seen their dreams begin to die. The dream of a world, of living in a world without pain. The dream of living in a world without war. The dream of living in a world without COVID. And they are on a seven-mile journey, and they're going in the wrong direction. Why would Jesus pursue somebody going the wrong way? The same reason as he would leave the 99 and go after the one. We think that God is only with us when we're going in the right direction. We're doing what he tells us to do. And we're always surprised by grace, aren't we? And these disciples are about to experience God's grace. What really happened at the cross beyond the crown that pressed into his brow, beyond the nails that pierced his hands and feet, beyond the spear that pierced into his side, beyond the humiliation of being stripped down naked, beyond the soldiers gambling over his clothes, beyond the insults hurled at him at the cross. At the cross, my sins and your sins get forgiven and forgotten. At the cross, we understand the deep, deep love of Jesus at the cross, we lay our burdens at the feet of Jesus. The grass grows greener at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross because there's not one greater, one lesser. And people get healed and find their freedom at the cross. So Jesus, out of his deep love for these two, begins walking with them to the road to Emmaus. And he said, 
What are you talking about? Verse 18. Now, there's a touch of humor in this story. And they said, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And you don't know the things that have happened? Are you new to town? Did you just get off the bus? How could you not know what's going on? These events are the talk of town. Now, sometimes when we're away and taking a break from the news, and somebody will say, did you hear what's happening? And you'll say, I didn't know that. And they'll say, it's all over the news. How could you not know that? And Jesus says, what things? Verse 19. It's not because Jesus didn't know. He was on the cross being crucified. His body was laid in the tomb. He's asking to see what they know. A good teacher will always ask his students a question to try to pull out what they know. Question number two, what did they hope for? Verse 19 says, he was, they, they believed he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. Jesus indeed was a prophet. He spoke of things before they happened, and they came to pass. Remember, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and the third day I will raise it up. Jesus said, put the seed into the ground, and it produces many kernels. Jesus was a prophet. Islam believes that Jesus is a prophet. Indeed, he is a prophet, but he's not less than a king or savior or lord, but he's more than a prophet. Stories told of Jesus, and there was a woman at the well, and Jesus offered to her living water, and she said, give me some of that living water. And Jesus said, first, call your husband. She said, I have no husband. He said, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. And she said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You know everything about me, and you don't pass judgment upon me. And when Jesus raised the widow at Nain's son, they were all filled with awe and praised God, and they said, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. Yet with all of his goodness, the religious establishment turned against him. Verse 20, the chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. First, Judas handed him over to the temple guard. Then the temple guard handed him over to the Sanhedrin. Then the Sanhedrin handed him over to the chief priest. And the chief priest handed him over to Pilate. And then Pilate handed him over to Herod. And Herod handed him back to Pilate. And then Pilate sentenced him to death. So what is it that they were hoping for? Verse 21. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They bought into a redeemer who would rule and reign. They had a redeemer who would overthrow Rome. They believed in a redeemer who would, who would restore Israel. They did not expect the Messiah to suffer. They had hoped. Their hopes were not realized. They had expectations that Jesus did not meet. They looked for a Messiah like Moses who would bring freedom from their oppression He'd come with power and authority. He'd correct what was wrong in the world and bring justice and peace. They, the last thing they expected was for the Messiah to be crucified. And when Jesus died, their hopes were crushed. You see, they were looking for a Messiah who would set them free from suffering, but they found a Messiah who would set them free by suffering. They had hoped Messiah would redeem them from their political bondage to Rome. They were enslaved to Rome. 
and they look for a leader to break them free, and he ends up on a cross, and their hope of redemption is crushed. And some of our women, they said, went to the tomb this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. The stone has been rolled away, and they looked into the tomb to anoint the body, but there was no body to anoint. The body was missing. They even said some angels said he is alive. And some of our men, Peter and John, went out early and saw the tomb, and sure enough, the body was gone. The grave clothes were there, but the body was gone, just as the women had said. <laughs> these, two women, these two disciples are telling their vision of the story of Jesus, who knows the whole story. They are living as if there was no resurrection. C.S. Lewis said, for those who hope in the resurrection, this life is only the cover and the title page. Upon death, we enter into chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I love that. Question number three, what does Jesus explain to them? Jesus says, you foolish people, you're so dull and so slow to understand. You find it hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. How many times have you gone to church and heard what the prophets had to say? Remember how the prophets opened up the scriptures and explained to you Adam and Eve in the garden, how they explained Noah and the great worldwide flood, how they explained about Abraham and Sarah and little Isaac. They explained to you about the Passover. How many times did you hear but you did not believe? You did not hear what the prophets were saying. Verse 26. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Isaiah the prophet had said the Messiah would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. He would be beaten so we could become whole and he would be whipped so that we can be healed. Zechariah the prophet had said, they will look on him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn as for the firstborn son who has died. They were looking for a Messiah who would save them from suffering, and the prophets predicted the Messiah would save them by his suffering. It was necessary for the Messiah to suffer all these things, to be pierced with nails, to be crushed on a cross, to be beaten with soldiers, to be whipped at the whipping posts. Because our Messiah suffered, he can identify with your suffering. And then Jesus took them through the writings of the Moses and all the prophets, explaining from the scriptures the things concerning himself. And if there is a sermon I would love to hear in heaven, I would love to hear this sermon. If there's a podcast, I promise you I will listen to it many times because Jesus begins to walk them through the scriptures, explaining himself. Imagine Jesus saying to them, let's start at the beginning with Adam and Eve. They lived in the Garden of Eden with unparalleled beauty, with unbroken fellowship. They could freely eat from any of the trees in the garden, except one. And then they were tempted to believe that there's something good outside of God's will. They began to doubt God. And they fell into temptation. They sinned. They hid themselves and covered themselves with fig leaves. And God said, where are you? What have you done? And then God himself slays an animal to make coverings for Adam and Eve. And you have a picture of the death of an innocent animal to cover the sin of a guilty 
sinner. Let's move on and talk about how God was grieved by all the sin and violence in the world before the flood. And I believe that God is grieved again with all the sin and all the violence in our world. So God asked Noah to build an ark, and he built it in his backyard. And he said, I am the true ark of safety into which sinners may enter and sail through the waters of judgment. And Noah and his family survived the judgment of the worldwide flood because they obeyed God. And let's not forget about Abraham. I promised Abraham that if he left his country and his relatives, I would make him into a great nation. So Abraham and Sarah waited and waited and waited. And when Abraham was 100 years old, Sarah 90, she gave birth to Isaac, which means laughter. It was a great joke. And to test Abraham's faith, God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love so much, to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him on one of the mountains. And Abraham obeyed. And Isaac asked a very perceptive question. He said, Dad, I see the fire <laughs> and I see the wood, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. And there on that mountain in the thicket was caught a ram. And on that very same place where God provided the lamb, God provided the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And then he would have taken them to Exodus 12. You remember the Passover lamb. They just celebrated Passover in Jerusalem. The Passover lamb was to be blameless and innocent. Messiah was chosen blameless and innocent. And God identified their homes by marking it with the blood of the lamb. And he said, I am the true Passover lamb that protects sinners from God's judgment. In Genesis, he was the creator, the seed of the woman. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, the great high priest who offers himself. In Numbers, the one who was lifted up. In Deuteronomy, he was the lawgiver. In Joshua, he is the savior who takes us into the land in Judges, the great deliverer, in Ruth, the kinsman redeemer, in Samuel, the king of David. And they walked those seven miles on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus acted as if he was going on. God will never impose himself on people, but he's glad to stay if the people want him to. They begged him, please, please, please stay. There isn't a Hampton Inn or a Fairfield Inn here in Emmaus. We would love for you to spend the night so he went home with them, verse 30. And as he sat down with them at the table, they broke bread. They took the common element of bread, and Jesus blessed the bread, and he broke the bread, and they understood this was Jesus. You see, there was a time before when a little boy took his five loaves and two fish, and Jesus blessed them, and broke them and multiplied them. There was another time in the upper room when Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my, this cup reminds you of the blood that's shed for you. And so when he broke the bread, they would have seen the scars on his hands. And they recognized Jesus in that moment. I would love to recognize God more in the common events of the day, like breaking bread. God created the heavens and the earth. He gave us a good land. He makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall and the seed to grow. And he gives us 
gifts from heaven. And suddenly their eyes were open, and they had their aha moment, and the veil was lifted off, and they recognized him. At that moment, he disappeared. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us and explained the scriptures to us? And that's what we want for you. We want the fire to be ignited. We want the scriptures to come alive to you. We want you to understand how good God is. So what happens when they understand he's risen? Within the hour, with no time to delay, they're on their way back to Jerusalem, the epicenter, ground zero. They left Jerusalem downcast, disheartened, disillusioned, feeling like they'd lost their best friend. They were processing everything that happened, but couldn't put the puzzle together. They'd heard reports of the empty tomb, but they didn't believe there was a resurrection. And Jesus himself gives them a tour of the Old Testament. This is Jesus in the Old Testament unveiling the writings of Moses and the prophets. And the lights went on, and they recognized Jesus. And they came back to Jerusalem, and they said, He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that's where it comes from. He is risen indeed. That's what they said in Jerusalem. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So, what does this mean to us? The resurrection of Jesus assures me that I am accepted of God. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered over for our sins, but He was raised to life for our justification. Sometimes people think, I must earn the favor of God. I must do certain things, then God will love me. The opposite is true. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. God loves you no matter what you do, no matter what roads you have taken. He was raised to life for our justification. What is justification? When you put your faith in Christ, you are justified. You are forgiven of all your sins, forgiven of God, and he forgets about our sins. He puts righteousness into your account. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had lived your life. So he could treat you as you'd lived his life. God is not mad at you. God is mad about you. Number two, resurrection assures me that I have all the power I need to live the Christian life, Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, he who rise, raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So we have an obligation not to live according to the flesh. People will say, I've tried to live the Christian life and I've failed. I want to say it's not hard to live the Christian life. It's impossible without the Spirit. You come to a place in your life where you say, I can't do this on my own. I can't live like this book says. I can't resist the temptations in my own strength. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. John 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. There is no addiction. There is no vice. There is no habit that has to hold on to you. The resurrection assures me I have all the power I need to live the Christian life. 
number three. The resurrection of Jesus assures me that I will live forever with God in heaven. Death died when Jesus died. Because Jesus rose, I too will rise. And because Jesus is alive, I will never die. Pastor, are you realize you are getting older? And you could die even soon. I don't deny the reality of death. But for the Christian, we never really die. The real me, my soul, my spirit lives on. God will resurrect my body. Death is not the end of the road. Death is simply a bend in the road. 1 Corinthians 15. For when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will ring true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Have you ever been stung by a bee? Of course you have. Death here is compared to the sting of a bee. A father was traveling with his son, and the fun son was highly allergic to bees. So a bee got in the car, was buzzing around, and the son panicked about this bee, being the fear of being stung, and the father captured the bee in his hand, and then he released it. And the son said, Dad, what'd you do? And he said, don't worry, son, I took the stinger out. Death has its sting, but Jesus has taken the stinger out of death. The moment we breathe our last breath on earth, we breathe our first breath in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ indeed has been risen from the dead, the firstfruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And the resurrection assures me that I will receive a new body. That's good news. A new body just like his. God will resurrect the body of every person who dies in Jesus, a radically upgraded version of you. Job 19 says, I know my Redeemer lives. Do you know your Redeemer lives? And that in the end I will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. This is some good news, church. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. And because of the resurrection, we will have resurrected relationships. You're talking to somebody. This happens a lot to me on the phone. And they drop off. They drop out. You lose connection. You lose a server. You're in a conversation and somebody you love dies. They are taken from you. And you can't have that final conversation. But because of the resurrection, we will pick up where we left off. We will see those believers in heaven. We believe that Jesus died and rose again and will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet calling God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And because of the resurrection, I have hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Everybody needs hope. A student 
needs hope that someday I can use what I'm learning, studying in a real life situation. A soldier far, far from home needs hope that someday I'll be able to see my family. And a patient needs hope that if I stay the course, I will get better. These disciples were living as if there was no resurrection. They were hopeless. They did not, they, they, they felt they believed in vain. There's plenty of hopelessness to go around. It's been said that we can go three days without water, 40 days without food, only minutes without oxygen, but we can't live without hope. The resurrection. Would you like to believe the gospel this morning? Jesus walked with these disciples on the Emmaus Road. They didn't know who Jesus was, but they were talking to the risen Christ. And when he broke bread, they realized who it was. Jesus appeared as if he was going to walk further. He won't force his way into anyone's life. But if you want him to, he will come in. He wants to save you from your sins. He wants to transform your life from within. He wants to give you a power over vice, and he wants to guarantee to you heaven. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Would you like Jesus to come into your life? Would you like to be forgiven of your sins? Would you like to know you're going to heaven? Why don't you pray now? You pray with me. If that's your heart's desire, would you just say these words after me? Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that you are the Savior who died, was buried, and rose again. God, please come into my life. I know you haven't changed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're the God who was, who is, and is to come. You're the Alpha and the Omega. And you are the Savior. I put my faith in you, Jesus, to take my place. Thank you for the beautiful cross and for the resurrection. Father, bring hope and joy to your people through the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. Flow into them, Lord, give them the joy that's irrepressible because, God, you have not changed. And we pray in Jesus' name. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change? God pursues us. He finds us. You know, we do this every Sunday for those of you who are coming back. <laughs> we'd love to see you next Sunday. We're going to start a brand new series. And we'd like you to, if you'd like, to stay with us. We're going to do a baptism now. There's actually three people going to be baptized. Amanda Pina, Jeremiah uh, Miller, and Owen Charles. So um, if you need to grab the kids, get them. You can come back. But we wish you all a really happy Easter. You know, because God hasn't changed, baptism is such a beautiful symbol of the old life being buried and the new life being raised into. To hear the verses that they're going to share, the stories they're going to tell, we'd love you to stick around and see this expression of new life, the beautiful picture of being raised with Christ. Pray with me. Father, thank you for our gathering. Thank you for these beautiful songs our choir has sung, that you don't change that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your love goes on forever. We sometimes walk on journeys, Lord, paths taken to take us far from you. Father, would you allow us to walk towards you, 
and to sense your pursuit of us, that you want to have a relationship with us. You want us to be close to you and close to one another. So, Lord, would you bless those about to be baptized? Would you give them great joy, Lord, as they step into obedience and they do what you commanded us to do in the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything you commanded us. And lo, you are with us always to the very end of this age. Lord, pour out your spirit on them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He is risen. He is risen God bless you.